0: Good morning and welcome to the... No. Um, sorry for those of you tuning in via the podcast. Uh, we're just going over to Philippians. Uh, and so today we're going to be talking about this right here. Okay, The title is Glory to Your God. Glory to Your God. Now please hop over to Philippians. Now that's, that's a statue of the guy that Mark was already talking about, uh, Augustus Caesar. He's a big deal because he's the first Caesar after Julius Caesar. We know Julius Caesar because of Shakespeare. Uh, And so Julius Caesar is kind of the the last of the Senate leaders. And Augustus Caesar is the first of these Roman leaders who's kind of actually more like a king. In fact, he's way more than a king. We found um, coins that say on the bottom, Kaiser a Curios." Caesar is Lord. So, in fact, he became really kind of the first of the Caesars to really be seen as a god, as one of the Greek gods. So Zeus, Athena, Apollo, Augustus. So he was seen, and even in the very bottom, you can, it's kind of weird, they did this a lot. Uh, it's, a, it's like a little baby, but uh, it's actually Cupid. And so what they would do when they would build these statues to Augustus is they would actually put him with one of the gods to, make, to remind you who he is, that he is a god, that he is actually a, a, a deity. And so that's what, it, that's what it was supposed to remind you of. And so actually, we were in Philippi recently, um, and here's a picture of Philippi. Um, and uh, you can see the Agora there, the marketplace. And just beyond is what Mark Balsh already spoke about, is where the big battlefield occurred. Um, and this is important because it will frame the church in Philippi. So when Paul writes his letter to the Philippians, uh, they're all going to be reading those scriptures through a lens of who they are as Philippians. Uh, this is the great uh, challenge for all of us. is not to, And this is the challenge in All the world of Christianity is to read the Bible and just immediately make it about you. But to really see, know what it actually mean to them. And then in return, what does it now mean to us? Which is really incredible because we don't want to be egological. We don't want to be egotistical in how we read the Bible and make it all just around us. But we do want to be theological. We want it it to circle around God, right? We want the scriptures to be about God uh, and then in turn about us. But really, Philippi is a city of grace, They really are. We're talking about grace. They're like a city. They are the grace city. And how many of us have really struggled to understand grace? Uh, It's a tough one. You know, even as a young man, I remember just uh, asking. I was asked when I started to study the Bible, really, to to repent and be baptized. I was asked what grace was. And I said, it's like a ballet dancer, you know, it's like when they're very, they're very graceful, Uh, which is right, but not the answer we're looking for. And so uh, I didn't really even know what grace was. I grew up in a family that was very, you know, faithful, religious. I didn't really, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, encapsulate grace to you. And I wonder how many of us could actually, if we just asked, hey, what is grace? Um, What is grace to you? What does it mean? And even when you like in campus ministry and in high school ministry, a lot of it. Is very much like the, uh, the best we can really do with grace in a, the evangelical world, the best they can really do with grace is to make it into some kind of blank check or some kind of credit card with a higher and higher balance. Of, oh, grace is really just if you mess up, then it's covered um, by God. And even sometimes that's kind of what evangelical rallies or workshops or weekends will be based on. You know, if you were to go to like a, you know, Inter- I used to pick one out of the hat, you know, InterVarsity or Chi Alpha or RUF, go to one of their, uh, you know, those are campus ministries. Go to one of their weekends. Usually it is just people coming up and saying some incredible sin that they committed. But that's, how, that's just how awesome God's grace is. That, you know, that, they, that God is able to cover this incredible sin. And now we just have to keep upping and upping and upping and upping. Let's all say more and more ridiculous things. That's just how awesome God's grace really is. But is that it? Is that the thrust of grace? It may not, that's not all wrong. There's a nugget of truth in there. But that's not that's not all wrong. But is that really what grace is? Because I don't know about you, but that doesn't really give me a thrust of confidence to really live my life based on grace. If anything, it's a temptation to sort of dawdle. I I feel a temptation to kind of, oh, you mean it's all kind of um, it's all covered. All right. Well, I can just kind of do what I want now. And so grace can become two things to us. It can become a credit card or it can become a license. Uh, Grace can easily become a license to sin. Uh, whether we're disciples or not, right? And we love a lot. There's some pas- passages in the Bible that are very well-known. Uh, it's interesting, the ones that are well-known and the ones that aren't well-known. Obviously, John 3.16 is very well-known. But Ephesians 2 is also a well-known one because it is the grace passage, right? You've been saved by grace. And that's a, that's a, that passage is very true. I love that passage. But sometimes that passage becomes, oh, we don't have to do anything. No, there's no, no change in my behavior is necessary, all that has to do is I just have to sort of intellectually uh, agree with grace and the existence of Jesus, perhaps, wow. then now I'm, I'm good to go. Is that it? Is that really what we're talking about this morning? Is that really what's supposed to, to, to churn us and to motivate us and to be the engine of the rest of our lives? I don't know, but I feel a little bit like, is that, is that it? Is it? It falls a little bit flat. And grace is an incredible thing. You know, Jesus never uses the word grace. Jesus never uses the word kadis. Uh, now he tells parables that sort of give you the sense of cadis, like the workers who get all paid the same at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of a sense of cadis there, but Jesus doesn't actually ever say grace. Um, but we have churches that are built on it, right? And so grace was actually a loan word. Actually, Paul borrows this word. Paul takes this word from the world to help the church in Philippi understand God. Paul's trying to help the Philippians understand God. And actually, in the Bible, when you see grace pop up a lot, it's usually to Roman colonies. Wow. Places that are under the influence of Rome because Cadiz was already rich in meaning. They understood Cadiz. He doesn't use it a lot with the Jews. He uses it a lot more with the Greeks and those who were under the influence of Rome. And so in this case, and I'll walk you through it. You might be like, okay, well, I'm still a little fuzzy on it. So Octavian, Augustus, I'll just say Augustus from now on, he changes his name you know, after he wins um, but Augustus, on this battlefield, just beyond the Agora, fights Mark Antony. And they fight, and uh, Octavian wins. Now, think about civil wars. This is a Roman civil war, right? Civil wars are nasty business. Um, when you lose a civil war, there's nowhere really to go. You don't go back to your country. You live there still, right? Like it's, it's a civil war. So there's a lot that comes along with losing a civil war. Um, and, and so when you lose a civil war, when you lose a war in general, especially in ancient times, what do you think happens to you? Nothing good, right? I mean, at the very least, at the very least, it's shame for the rest of your life. You're the usurper. You're the traitor. You're the, you're the betrayer. You're the offender. You are uh, an enemy of the current state and not just some faraway state. You're an enemy of the state that you love. You're an enemy of the country that you love. And so shame is the least That would happen. But probably more likely slavery. You'd be enslaved. Now you have to work for the guys that just beat you the rest of your life. Perhaps your wife and your kids are now slaves. And sometimes, and more often than not, it really meant death. That you would actually be killed. Shame, slavery, and death were were likely for for the losers of this battle. But that's not what Augustus does, as Mark shared. Augustus actually decides, you know what? I'm going to give you land. Wait, what? That's kind of the opposite. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you title. I'm going to let you be part of Rome. And not just, we're going to let you like, not die. We're, 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 we're going to still be Rome over here and you can just live over there. No, but you're going to be a Roman colony. You're going to be a part of us. We're bringing you in. And not just bringing you in, but you're going to have title. You're going to have money. You're going to have value. Your kids are going to have money. Because land is not just like a one-time thing. Land gets handed down. So your, your future generations are set. It all happens. Think about how much anxiety you have over future generations, your kids, your grandkids. That is now taken care of because of Augustus. And so Philippi became the city of Augustus. They, in Cadiz, in grace, you know, Seneca says that we have lots of rules and laws in Rome, but one thing we do not need a law for is grace, is Cadiz. It was so embedded. They understood Cadiz so well, they didn't need to be walked through it. Now, what is Cadiz? Cadiz is basically someone giving a free will act of just in crazy generosity, just something. So just like what we saw, those guys who lost did not, did not deserve anything. In fact, they deserve death, but rather Augustus gives them a free will, unmandated, incredible, massive gift. That's the first, that's the first act of Cadis. And so actually when the Greeks try to explain Cadis or grace, they use the dance of the three graces. And there's kind of these three women here, um, and it's the idea that three women are dancing. Actually, this is not an accurate photo per se. They're dancing in a circle. But the three women are actually depicted dancing, holding hands. And that the grace is, is continual. You have the first one here. She's the, initial act of, she's the initial free will act of grace. So she's the Augustus, hey, instead of shame, killing you, and slavery, I'm going to actually give you land. Now, the next part, which is not mandated... Augustus never says, I'll give you this as long as you treat me really nice from now on. I'll give you this as long as you vote in my favor going forward. I'll give you this as long as you don't rebel anymore. None of that happens. That's not coddies. That's not grace. Grace has to be unmandated. It has to be free will. So the next, so first is the free will offering. Next is the reception. Grace has to be received. It has to be re- received, recepted, Right. And then what's great about grace, Seneca says grace is not so much about ever being able to repay the initial act, but it's about the ongoing relationship that is born from the initial act. So the third person is about the continual relationship for the rest of their lives. And the circle must never be broken. It's it's, it's one of the most offensive things in Rome is to break the circle of cadis. It would actually, actually, Seneca says, the most cardinal sin I can think of, this is a guy, it's a philosopher who lived at the time, he says, the most cardinal sin I can think of is to break the circle of grace. Not adultery, not prostitution, not murder, but to break the cycle of grace. If I give someone gives you an incredible act of love and you don't respond with gratitude, that's the most cardinal sin people could think of. You would be labeled, you would be outcasted. It was unthinkable to not respond. Uh, and so this is what Seneca actually says. He says, the greater the favor, the more earnestly we must express ourselves. Resorting to such compliments as, I shall never be able to repay you my gratitude, but at any rate, I shall not cease from declaring everywhere that I am unable to repay it. So Seneca says, listen, it's not about repaying it. You can't. Those veterans who lost could not repay Augustus in the same way. They couldn't say, hey, let's go give him a bunch of land. They didn't have it. Let's go give him some title. Uh, he's the king of Rome. I think he's okay. He's the emperor of Rome, right? He's fine. But, but here's the thing. Seneca goes, it's not that we're able to, but we're going to declare everywhere how awesome you are and that we can never repay you. And so Philippi became a city of Rome. Everything they did. One, they wore a toga. They wore what Romans wear. We want to be like Rome. We, we love Augustus. Let's wear the toga. They even honored In this case, their benefactor, their Lord, everything about their lives became declaring him everywhere. The best thing you could do as a client in this case is to increase the reputation of the benefactor. So Philippi couldn't ever repay Augustus, but they sure could talk about him. And And everyone that came to Philippi would hear about him. In fact, we found like dozens of those statues I just showed you all over Philippi. If you would have shown up in Philippi, you would have not only seen a bunch of Greeks Macedonians wearing togas, like, okay, why are they wearing togas? Uh, It's not Rome. Uh, Also, the city is built to imitate Rome. It's the same setup. It's It's supposed to be a little Rome. And then, in addition to that, everywhere you go, they took pride in saying a certain sentence. They would go up to you and say, hail. And you would respond with, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Have we told you about Caesar? He's the one who saved us. Have we told you the story yet? Everyone would have known about Caesar. It's not about repaying it, but they became a city of Cadis, a city of grace. They took pride in it, and it became their identity. And you might say, Drew, well, how, how, you, how do we know all this? Well, the Bible actually says a little bit of it. Acts 16, if you want to just jot this down. In Acts 16.20, when Paul's in Philippi, uh, he basically drives out a demon from a little girl, and the guys who are in charge of the little girl um, complain. And they say, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men, Paul and Silas, are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Isn't that interesting? They say the reason that they cannot accept Christianity is because they're Romans. And they, have already, they don't need a new Lord. They already have one. Wow. We don't need your Jesus. We already have Caesar. Yeah. We already have a benefactor. And so when Paul writes this letter in Philippians, He's writing to a people that definitely understand what it means to live a life of gratitude. And the same happens for us. Whether we know it or not, we, glorify, we bring glory to some God, don't we? We bring glory to some God. And the question becomes, to, to which God do you bring glory? Everything that you do points to someone or something else. I love that they wore the toga. It was almost like if, if the, you wouldn't have to even open your mouth. Before they knew where your loyalties lied. They didn't even, they see you, oh, you must be Romans. I see how you dress. And even even how we dress, right? Modesty, Mm -hmm. men and women, even how we dress can bring glory to someone or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's to bring glory to us. It's to bring glory to our money. It's to bring glory, I don't know, but even how we dress. How about the Philippians building their city just to imitate Rome, right? They rearranged their entire lives just so that they could resemble their benefactor. They could resemble whom they admired most. They rearranged everything. And so when you walked into Philippi, you were reminded, like, this looks like Rome. This is like a little Rome. You know, they, they rearranged everything. You know, how, how about us? We rearrange our lives for a lot. We re- rearrange our lives for our kids. Uh, we will make sure they get to soccer practice on time. And we will stomp out anybody in our way. We will make sure they get the grades they're supposed to get. We rearrange our lives. We cancel things so that our kids can be happy or be healthy. We, that becomes the God to which we bring glory. How about our own luxury? How about our own comfortability? We can be, you know, everything's about us. Being comfortable and not being pushed. We, everything's about, you know, and that's a big thing nowadays, right, is make sure you are comfortable. Don't ever let anyone tell you what to do. Do what's best for you. Um, the idea of communal transformation is, is a negative one. because People are like, oh, that sounds weird, communal transformation. Even one of the sisters, when we first mentioned it, was like, it sounds like a commune, you know, and you say that. and That just rubs me the wrong way. Anything really communal rubs us the wrong way, for the most part, because we're so individualistic. Right. Everything we are in America is like the height of individualism. It's the most individualistic society in the history of the world. But here's the thing. For whom do you rearrange your life? Is it for that boy, for that girl, so they'll like you, so they'll love you? Is it for your job? Is it for acceptance? Is it for performance? For whom do you rearrange your life? For your spouse? For whom do you rearrange your life? And, uh, you know, for me, I know that it's, it's easy. It's easy growing up in the church to be familiar with God, and familiarity can breed contempt. The more familiar we get with God, the more we go, I know, I know, I know. We read something about grace, and even the word grace, it doesn't hit us. We're like, go on. Okay, grace? No, grace is like, it doesn't hit us fresh. It's like being told the same joke 20 times. You stop laughing because it's not, it's not the novelty anymore. There's not the initial, whoa, whoa, wow, punchline, got me, right? There's not that anymore with Jesus. And for me, it is a fight, not just to strive to learn what to do. And honestly, I'd rather probably hear a sermon about what I need to go do. Because that's tactile. That's, that's, that's a checklist waiting to happen. I can make a checklist. I can go do it. I can go rely on performance. And a lot of us, we'd probably rather rely on performance. But here, it's not about that. It's not about bringing glory to ourselves. The Philippians didn't think, oh, now that we have independence, let's build the best city that Philippi can be. Let's do Philippi our own way. Let's put our own spin on it. Let's be the, let's be the new Philippians. They say, no, everything we do, from what we dress to how we rearrange our city to the artwork we make, it will point to the one who saved us. It will all point to Augustus. Hop over to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. This is the same church, you know, and I want to encourage you today, this, this letter is written to a church. So this sermon today really is meant for those who belong to the church. That is those who've repented and been baptized. You know, we get to know who belongs to the church in Philippi. Oh, just read Acts 16. It began with those women at the river who were baptized, right? Lydia, and later we find out Euodia and Syntyche. By the way, the first disciples in the Philippian church, all women. So women began the church in Philippi, which is awesome. We don't hear about any men like ever. Uh, Epaphroditus briefly, but I don't think he had his his game going pretty well. Um, But we have women starting off the church, but they're the ones... Who repented and were baptized. I'm not talking like ceremonial baptism. We're talking biblical cosmic shift of mind and heart repentance and baptism. Okay. When when that happens, this sermon that applies to you. This sermon can apply to you if you simply choose to really enter the dance of Cadiz. Choose to receive. Choose to you know you know there's a dance going on, and you you know, if you jump in, you kind of get sucked into the dance. You're kind of sucked into it, and it's hard to kind of get out. That's kind of the idea, right? Is you're kind of you're sucked into the dance, and you know and you're into that conga line, and you're you're in it whether you like it or not. And and but it's kind of that idea. But in Philippians chapter two, for a whole city that took pride in saying USA, USA, that was their chant, right? Instead it was US, instead of USA, you know what it was? Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. It was patriotic. It was loyal, it was, it was everything, and they loved it. And here you go, here comes Paul in Philippians chapter 2, 4. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Here you go, here comes Cadi's. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That's right. You know what name I'm talking about, Philippi. It's above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And everyone in Philippi is going, ooh, whoa, he just dropped some heat. Jesus is Lord. And it became something they said. And it was a risky thing to say. Paul is beaten for it in Acts 16, right? Paul is beaten for this idea that Jesus is Lord. But I want to draw attention to one thing. Augustus used his power, authority, and dominance to initiate grace. Cadis. To save some from shame and death. Jesus didn't use dominance, power, or authority to save us from shame and death. He Actually, Jesus embraced shame and death. Yeah. Jesus didn't look down and say, go have caddies." No, Jesus actually became shame. He entered into the depths of hell. He took on the sins of the world. He saw your hearts to the bottom and still loved you to the skies. But he went through All of that to initiate grace. We have a benefactor who began the dance of grace not with power, but with humility. With service. With loneliness. With being, this is the God we have. And Paul's saying, sure, sure, yeah, you can love Augustus all you want. You know, but we have a God doesn't have to be made up into statues with little cupids next to his knee to make him seem awesome. We have Jesus. And Jesus entered into the depths of hell for you. And he did it all, trusting that you would receive it and live in response. When we really love and are grateful for someone or something, the rest is easy. Yeah. Yeah. The rest is easy. In Kadis, nothing is mandated. Uh, nothing is forced. It's one thing to say... To, Baptize someone and say, Alright, from now on, make sure you tell everyone about Jesus. Tell them how grateful you are. Make sure you come to church. Don't miss church. Make sure you come to D-group. Also, don't be yeah, make sure you call this person, call that person. Make sure you forgive. Do it every day. We can call each other every morning and remind each other to do these things. That was nothing in Cadiz. Philippi wasn't told what to do. They were just so encouraged and so excited that they're like, what, what can we do? You know what we'll do? Let's put out a shipment. Let's put an order for some togas. We can look like Rome. Let's play. We'll go, to go. We'll get here next week. It'll be awesome. You know what else we could do? We could reshape the city. I know it's not much, but maybe people will be reminded of Augustus when they come here. Have, you, have I told you about Augustus yet? He saved us. We fought against him. We thought he was going to kill us. We thought at the very least we'd live a life of shame that our family would just have to be shamed and embarrassed, couldn't vote, couldn't have money. Our kids would be the betrayer's children. Our grandkids would be the betrayer's grandchildren. Our whole life and our kids' life and our grandkids' lives were done. We were going to be ashamed, enslaved. We were going to be dead. Have we told you about who saved us? That was their heart. That was all they cared about. And it, was, and it would have been everywhere. And Paul says, you know what? We weren't saved from any sort of social uh, uh, group, ungroup shame. We were saved from the shame of trying to take on this life, anxiety, depression, insecurity on our own. The shame of trying to find some kind of semblance of happiness in this life, the shame of trying to measure up to others at every point to make ourselves feel better and sleep better, the shame of comparison, the shame of pride, the shame of being exposed. We don't have to be ashamed anymore, church, because it's not about us, it's about our benefactor. It's about who saved us. And we were saved from slavery, Slavery to addiction, slavery to pornography, slavery to a life of self-centeredness, Slaver, slave to our anger, slave to bitterness. Some of us are enslaved by bitterness our whole lives. We're enslaved by revenge. And even more than that, we were saved from death. And not just some, some little poultry physical death. We were saved from eternal damnation. That you get to live in the presence of your Lord, of your benefactor, of your God, not just someday when you die, but right stinking now. You can, it gets to begin now. We have a bit of heaven now. You get to, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming, but it's also sort of right now. Okay. And it's kind of confusing, but yeah, it's, it's now. Okay, but when's it coming? No, no, it's now it's now it's now this is what we get to do we've been put here in charlottesville for a reason not just to say grace has saved us and then go back to living selfishly not just to say i don't really get grace look at jesus and tell me if you don't get grace none of us have to be walked through if if we need a liver transplant that costs seventy five thousand dollars and we get it from somebody let me walk you through what gratitude looks like buddy we don't need that lesson you know i know exactly what to do i don't i'm gonna find out I'm Find out what he likes, what he doesn't like. If it was a woman, what she likes, what she doesn't like. I'm going to try to be grateful and not to try to pay her back. I could never pay her back. But it's not about the one-time payment. It's about an eternal relationship that from here on out, everyone will know about God. Because have you heard about who saved me? Have you heard about what he did for me? And that's an exciting thought. Philippians chapter 127. Let's look at two passages as we close out. Two passages in Philippians. Paul does this beautifully in Philippians 1, 27. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, that Greek word is conduct yourselves as polituo, as a polis. Polis being city. Annapolis, right? Indianapolis. Polis just means city. He says, conduct yourself as a city of the gospel. You know Philippi? They go, oh, we're Philippi. We're the city of Augustus. No, no, no. The church in Philippi, you're the city of Jesus. And when people come, they're going to say, who's your benefactor? Who's your Lord? Why do you do that? Why don't you watch those kinds of movies? Why do you dress that way? Why are you at peace despite the current tumult in our political society why are you constantly still able to love and forgive and and have a blast with people that you have nothing in common with why do you keep talking to me when i'm trying to not talk to you what 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 is wrong with you what is different about you well let me tell you about my lord let me tell you about who saved me from slavery shame and death and brought peace and a purpose you know jesus didn't just save us from shame slavery and death he brought us peace and a purpose. You know, Philippians 3, actually, no, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Skip down. We'll actually keep reading. Sorry, Philippians 1, 27. Uh, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Remember, Paul was beaten and flogged here. You're not going to be frightened at all by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been graced to you. That word is grace. It has been kadist to you. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him. He says, listen, you're the new city of Jesus. Why? Because it has been graced to you. Jesus began the dance. Are you willing to receive it? Are you willing to engage in that dance? And you know what? They would have known exactly what that looked like. Yeah, we can do that. We can live that life for Jesus. Let's close out in Philippians 3.20. Philippians 3.20. I want to encourage us, church. You know, Paul was only in Philippi for a few weeks, and he converted a handful of women, and he left. That might not be the most auspicious church planting of all time. Right? Uh, in fact, Philippi is the only city that we know of where Paul plants a church with no synagogue. A synagogue is, is a great place to start. It's like a university for us today. Like, oh, let's plant a church where a university is because that's kind of like where everybody is. There's a lot of intermingling. And so, synagogue was important because it had people who already knew about God. They knew they're Jewish, they knew God. Philippi has no synagogue. So, how is it that this church even gets off the ground? Paul leaves with a handful of women, maybe a few men. And we know in 110 A.D., so 60 years later, a church leader named Polycarp writes a letter saying, the church in Philippi still bears fruit to this day. How cool is that? So the church in Philippi does not have any full-time leadership. In fact, they have like a house church, like a few people, right? And at that time, uh, women didn't have the voice they have today by any stretch of the imagination, so it's even more inauspicious. And so uh, we see that somehow it still bears fruit. Philippians 3.20. Paul writes, their destiny is their destruction. This is verse 19. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's that same word again. But our polis is in heaven. That we become the city of God. Paul is trying to say, listen, they're going to go out there and build a city based on some Roman leader who has authority for a few years and then will be replaced by somebody else. We are a city. And people should walk in and say, oh, my goodness, who is your Lord? There's something different about you. Can you tell me about this Jesus? And it's a great uh, relief. It's a great uh, load off our shoulders because how often do we feel like, oh, I want to share my faith. I want to reach out to people in the world. I just don't know what to say. I just if I just knew what to say, then I could probably share my faith a bit more with my classmates and my neighbors and my family. You know, I don't know that the church in Philippi was was trying to think, what should I say? What's the, what's the best sales pitch for Jesus? How can I sort of make this work? You know? And even Paul isn't doing that. He's trying to help them understand how grateful they should be. But the church in Philippi wouldn't have had to rehearse the sales pitch. They knew it. They told that story every, every holiday. When they got the, kid, the kids were probably like, Ah, don't tell the story about Jesus again. But have I told you about who saved me? You no, know, a lot of times our kids don't even know our conversion stories. Our kids have no idea how we were converted. No idea. They don't hear about Jesus. They think that, as parents, sometimes we're bringing glory to other gods all the time. The God of a good college to get into. The God of material wealth. The God of of acceptability. You know, when people come to us, we don't have to know what to say. All we have to say is, have I told you about my Lord? Have I told you about why I live the way I do? I'm just so grateful. I'm just so thankful for this or that or this or that. And just spend time. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes... I pray that we can know God better. That's the challenge for us. If you can know God better, you'll be able to really enter the dance of Cadiz. You'll be able to really jump in there and be what we're called to be. And let's imagine, let's imagine just for a second, what if we all did this? What if we all were overflowing with gratitude about what God did for us? What kind of city would we be? What kind of polis? What What kind of grace? What kind of dance would we enter into? How many people would go, man, that church is different? Those people are different. That girl I work with, man, she's, she's different. She's in a pure dating relationship. That is weird and different. The guy I talk with, he won't jump in the gossip when we're gossiping. He won't, he won't jump in the dirty jokes that we're telling at work. He won't, he won't jump into that. In fact, he distances himself. In fact, he changes the subject. What is, what's up with you, man? What is up? Why do you live the way you do? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you why. Because I have an incredible benefactor, an incredible patron who saved me from shame, slavery, and death. A lot of people who study the Bible with me or know me at all know the name Nick Anderson. They don't know Nick Anderson. None of you have met Nick Anderson. But you know the name Nick Anderson. And I don't ever wake up thinking, mention Nick Anderson, mention Nick Anderson. I don't ever do that. But whenever I tell my story, I just just smile when I think of Nick. And I tell about Nick and I say how grateful I am that he hung in there with me in the Bible studies. I was a self-righteous, hypocritical, self-focused 14-year-old. And Nick hung in there with me for, for two years, picked me up from football practice. He loved me. He shared vulnerably about his parents' divorce and his mom's suicide. He told me about all this. As a 14-year-old, I didn't get it. In fact, I looked down on him for being weak, for telling me this, that people don't talk about these things. This is not something you talk about. But to this day, I, I will never fail to mention Nick because of how grateful I am for him. And that's just a person who got, whom God used. Yeah. We, how are we with God? How are we in talking about our Lord and Savior? And so, church, to close out, are we bringing glory to our God? The first slide had a little g. This one has a big one. Because this is not our God. Okay, That's not the God we're talking about. we got to bring glory to our God. That we have one king, we have one Lord, that the world will continue to try to find some replacement for him, but they never will succeed. Church, let's bring glory to our God and that people say, what's different about you? And we all can respond, let me tell you about my Lord. Amen, and to God be the glory. Um, sorry, real quick, I forgot an announcement. So a lot of us um, know Miss Jackie, and uh, Miss Jackie, because of her health, has, been, has moved up to New York, and she's, uh, she can only get care up there if she actually uh, moves in and becomes a resident. Um, so Miss Jackie's going to move up to New York, um, so uh, Evie asked if we can pray for her. Yes. Uh, in this time and pray for her to heal but also Miss Jackie would we know Miss Jackie would love to be uh, called so if we can call her leave a voicemail just talk to her love up on her it's a big life move a big transition very scary so let's love our sister in this time I really love Miss Jackie and let's let's pray for her Um, so amen thanks amen and what is more fitting than to sing the song Thank You Lord right. so let's stand and sing together Thank You Lord for loving loving me and thank You Lord for blessing me Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for loving.